Happy New Year, and welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net, and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast. If you're already doing so, thank you, and tell your friends to do so as well. Besides nhte.net, you can also find the show on iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts, as well as on Spotify and lots of other podcast platforms. There are links to Now Hear This Entertainment on at least a half dozen podcast apps at nhte.net. The show is on a whole bunch more, though, so don't worry if you don't see your favorite on there. Look for this show almost anywhere that you get podcasts, and stay tuned. I have an exciting new announcement coming up during this interview. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from California, my guests are two-fifths of the band Death Angel. The band has a song that is up for a Grammy in the Best Metal Performance category. They are signed to Nuclear Blast Records and released an album in 2019 and a music video in November. And next month they will do seven shows in nine days in Europe, performing in Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Germany. They have a rabid worldwide following with a combined total of almost 800,000 across their social media platforms. This is the second NHTE appearance for Death Angel, having previously been on episode 163. You've been hearing a song of theirs called The Ultraviolence. It's my pleasure to welcome to now hear this entertainment, songwriter and lead vocalist Mark Asageda, and songwriter, lead guitar player, and band founder Rob Cavistani. Well, wonderful to be here. Thanks for having us back. Absolutely. Yeah. Hello. Great to be here. Welcome. How are you? Good, good. Welcome, guys. Thanks so much for taking time out to talk to me today. Absolutely. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Let's start off by having you first talk about the song that we were just playing called The Ultraviolence. Well, as it's an instrumental that was written uh, prior to me joining the band, uh, I'll have Rob, Rob take this one. The Ultraviolence, that is the title track off of our debut album by the same name, obviously, that was released in 1987. And um, that song is, um, well, basically, it's, it, it's, it's our uh, attempt at, at making an epic instrumental track. And these are some young kids at the time who were attempting to do this. Um, I guess we somewhat succeeded. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so I mean, it's just uh, we were into band like Rush back in the day to be to be actually in particular Rush and listening to their record <laughs> 2112. And we were like, we need to do our version of that in a, in a, in a thrash metal style. And that's basically what we were going for. Well, and listeners, if you've been with me a long time, thank you. And you know that I have made no secret about the fact that Rush is, in fact, my all-time favorite band. So I can totally relate. <laughs> I like I like the 2112 reference. It's always good to get in on, on I was going to say, on any episode of NHTE, but on any interview, for that matter. <laughs> well, there you go. We were, we, we were and are fans of Rush, of course, amazing band. Um, and yeah, they were a, a very early musical influence. So, um, we wanted to create an, an epic track that had a lot of parts in it and just, um, took you on a crazy musical journey. 
Am I wrong, or was there a reissue of the ultraviolence in quote unquote more recent years? There was. There was a reissue uh, uh, by Metal Blade reissued it, I believe, correct? I believe that's right. Yeah. And, or, uh, well, at one point, we we reissued it on CD at that's, first. That's correct, yeah, and yeah. That was upon the 25th anniversary of the Ultraviolence. So we, we reissued it on CD, and then we did an entire tour. We basically did a world tour for it where we played that album in its entirety from beginning to end wow. uh, as, as our live set. So that was on the 25th anniversary of that. And then later on, it was re-released um, on vinyl. And it's also part of this uh, Ryko box set that happened in 2004, somewhere there. But it's still kind of hard to find. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and ironically, too, though, it's, it's still uh, really sought after, for sure. And But one thing I was going to, I, I got to hearken back to what Rob was touching on, you know, because uh, those guys wrote the music and as it's instrumental. And being I joined the band in 1984, that song already existed. But to this day, it's still, even though I have nothing to do with that song or live, I don't get to perform with it when they actually do it. The few times they do it live these days, it's still one of my favorite tracks to hear. Wow. And, you know, for for a vocalist to say that, like one of my favorite songs is an instrumental. Yeah. It's very interesting, you know, and being in the band. And also to, to harken back to that the title of the song is, you know, of course, paying homage to, you know, the movie Clockwork Orange, where that was, you know, taken from as, as an homage to how much we all loved that film growing up. And you have to think that that instrumental song that wasn't, you know, that this metal band wrote trying to, you know, capture a thrash metal version of a Rush song was written by kids that were, uh, I'm I, I'm just going off the top of my head, ten to you know ten to fifteen years old, or ten to fourteen, yeah. ten to fourteen years old maybe <laughs> at the time. Amazing, you know, amazing. Yeah. So, and it um it it also it, it it's got this kind of I don't know iconic intro that um is kind of um yeah it's kind of spooky uh kind of Halloween like um exorcist kind of sounding vibe uh, that i was trying to create with the intro of that song and that that, that song was uh that that bit of music was even later used um shit it's probably been about 10 years ago now but uh it was in a carl's jr commercial wow wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes that's what it's, even, it's even in a carl's jr commercial <laughs> How's that for a piece of trivia? That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, decades after this, you know, after it was released, it, all of a sudden Carl, we were approached by Carl's Jr. for that to uh, wow. be used in a commercial. We thought when we were contacted by them that, you know, at first it was some sort of joke to say, the, you know, <laughs> that someone was playing a joke on us. But no, totally. it really, yeah, it was it, it was true. And, uh, and over the years, the people that we ran into or we'd get calls from people going, is, am I tripping out like my wife was watching something and i i was wondering what the hell is she doing listening to the ultraviolence and they'd run in the room and it would, they'd see this commercial <laughs> of course people would get a get a hold of us and it was pretty yeah pretty amazing oh, that's, yeah. Awesome. that's awesome yeah yeah it was all, yeah. it was also one of three one of the three songs that was was on our kill as one demo tape 
that was produced by Kirk Hammett uh, that inevitably got us signed to our first record contract. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. A lot of mileage on that thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, our puncture proof tire. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good stuff. Well, guys, this band has been around a long time, well over 30 years. And as global a following as you have, there are still some listeners who are going to just be getting introduced to Death Angel for the first time. And thank you for that, by the way, listeners. A new milestone was just reached as the show has now gotten listeners from 150 countries around the world. So, guys, for the sake of those Death Angel newbies, let's go way back to the beginning of Death Angel. How did you choose the metal genre, and as young songwriters, what visions did you have back then? Like wanting to change the world or just wanting to kick ass? Both. <laughs> <laughs> to, to that question, both. We, we, want, we totally wanted to kick ass, and we wanted to change the world, at least back then, before we realized that, you know, the reality of that actually happened. <laughs> it was not, not as easy as we thought. But um, we want, we, I mean, metal... Metal was like an evolution for us, actually. We didn't even really know of metal when we were first starting to rock. Hmm. I think it was more of us just uh, getting into rock music at all. Um, And, I mean, metal, we're... We're so ancient that metal barely like didn't even exist. That's why we didn't know of metal at first. It was was becoming a thing as we were getting into music and listening to rock. and as well as all kinds of other music, like we were totally originally inspired. Me and Mark would like listen to our dad's record collection constantly, which was mainly comprised of like 70s. Well, like who? Because, so, I mean, you mentioned Rush before, but I was going to ask you, who were some of your major music influences as young artists? Pre-Rush, of, before Rush, I mean, at the very, my earliest um, records I could picture listening to was stuff like, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John, which is yeah. that's still one of my favorite albums till this day. And stuff like, I'm going to say, Led Zeppelin 3 um, and The Jackson 5. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, um, let's see, Mark, who, 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 yeah, who was happening for you? Yeah, it would be things like that, that our dad's record collection. That's the same. It would be the same. My dad had a lot of Elton John um, a lot of Fleetwood Mac, even yep. uh, a lot of Peter Green Fleetwood Mac as well. My father had, and then, and then of course he had Led Zeppelin, Nazareth, uh, Deep That's Purple, right. yeah, Deep Purple, and uh, Mach One and Two, and so it was just a lot of things that you know helped us, I guess, get drawn towards songwriting structure, unknowingly, mm. unknowingly, but also you know the heavier side of music, and. Um, but I think actually it would really boil down to the first band we grasped onto that was our band that wasn't our parents, you know, and to this day, obviously we love Led Zeppelin. We love Elton John. We love Deep Purple. You know, now we have a, even a, a more deeper appreciation for them. But the first band that we considered ours and not our parents, and I think is commonplace in, in people from our, you know, age group roughly was Kiss. Kiss mm. became our band. You know, it was the band that, for us that we felt like this was ours. Okay. And uh, it was, I believe, the original member, Dennis might have been the first one to get the, Dennis Pepp, our original bass, yeah. might have been the first one who introduced us, all the cousins, because the original lineup of Death Angel, the original was Rob, 
Andrew Galleon, who was the drummer, Gus Peppa, who was rhythm guitarist, and Dennis Peppa, who was bassist. And Rob and Dennis would switch vocals, but they were all four cousins. Mm. And then I joined, and that was 82 when they formed, and I joined in 1984 as a stand-up vocalist. And um, I, too, was a second cousin there, so we was five cousins. Uh. But prior to forming a band, we would all get together at family gatherings. So, you know, we'd share each other's music. And Dennis was, you know, uh, older than probably the oldest, uh, the oldest of the group by maybe five months, you know, or something like that. But he still heard of Kiss first, showed it to us, and we all became obsessed with Kiss. Gotcha, gotcha. And, you know, used to dress up as Kiss and put on <laughs> fake concerts for our parents at family gatherings. We all dress up as Kiss. And, and we weren't lip syncing. That's the thing. We wow. put on the records and we do weird little, you know, tennis rackets and, you know, uh, Rob had a, a little makeshift toy drum kit, but it was a drum kit, but it was, you know, like a toy drum kit. But um, I believe we would, Rob's dad or Den's dad had a, an amp and we would plug a microphone into an amp. So we would actually switch off singing the actual Kiss song. So we would <laughs> air guitar, but the particular, and we would switch who sang each song. So we were actually, we weren't lip syncing. We were actually yeah, singing yeah. the songs. <laughs> well, let me or tell just, you something. Kiss is about a hundred times cooler than the band that, I shouldn't even say band, the, the group that me and my cousins used to put on shows for our family with, like you're describing. But you guys, that was obviously some foreshadowing because that you went to the lengths of switching up vocals and we're not lip syncing. That was obviously okay, there's there's something that's going to end up happening with these guys based on the depths that they're putting on this show to, you know, show show in air quotes. Yeah, yeah. And then we were very fortunate enough that Kiss was coming around to the San Francisco Bay Area. And this was uh, 1979, and they were playing the Cow Palace. And we were fortunate enough that Rob's mother and Dennis's mother were nice enough to bring us to see kiss so wow. and wow. this was 79 i believe i was 10 rob was 10 or 11 and dennis was 10 or 11 and andy the original drummer was probably seven years old and we all went mm. and they brought us and i mean that was kind of the moment i believe for all of us watching gus gus the original rhythm guitarist he was still living in the philippines at the time and so when we saw Kiss play, I remember you could tell it was our first concert because on the way we were saying, "Hey, when it's quiet, let's yell something so, like so and so, so Kiss, so Kiss hears us, you know." And, that's, and then we got there and we realized when the lights went out and the, the sound and the roar of the crowd, we were like, "Oh, there's never going to be a quiet moment where we yell something." That, that Kiss goes, "Hey, those guys, that was a clever, you know, clever yell out." You know, so. But then also I could say about five minutes into it when we saw the show, it, it struck me like a lightning bolt that, you know, mm. that's that's what I want to be when I grow up. Wow. And I'm sure that it was across the boards for Dennis, Rob and Andy as well. Yeah. You know? Well, there are guys and gals who subscribe to this show and listen every week to learn from me and my guests. So for their benefit, what steps did Death Angel take that resulted in the band being signed to a major label? Because, Rob, you were starting to say before that the song that we played in the intro, The Ultraviolence, that that was a part of it. But what what else was done that resulted in Death Angel being signed? We kind of did the the typical um, 
steps that, that one might one might think in the guidebook as to what, what you're supposed to do so it kind of worked for us like you know we you know in, in the first place we starting from where mark left off we learned how to play instruments so that we could actually make a band happen because at that point in time we, we didn't even know how to play we just wanted to, we we knew we wanted to have a band before we even knew how to play instruments so first mm. of all we learned how to play some instruments it's kind of important play this you play that yeah it's kind of important um it, it was a bit unorthodox because we didn't just like we weren't musicians and then we found each other and then made a band we right. were like guys who knew we need so we're like okay i'll play guitar you play drums and we go and then we we figured it out we practiced a lot and we tried to write songs before we even could play covers we were trying to write original songs because we just thought that that's what you're supposed to do mm. so we were like we we had as many original songs back then as we could do a cover song and it just seemed easier to write a song than to even try to cover of songs we couldn't really make it sound right part of what what led us you know into songwriting because it just it was just a thing we did right from the start and so we wrote songs and we practiced like as much as we possibly could on the weekends because we were all still going to school and then we started trying to play shows we just basically made a uh, oh well we did we sorry we made a, de a proper demo tape we went to this some guys home kind of studio i don't know even how we found this guy in in the want ads of a, of a local <laughs> paper the guy advertising his studio we went over there made this four song demo and then we took that demo and literally went to the clubs in san francisco and just hung around out front until some guy that worked there would show up wow. and try to hand him our demo, demo tape. Wow. Yeah, like full-on hustling it to get it to happen. Then we, we finally got a call. We got a gig. Like someone went for it, and we played some, you know, Wednesday night early slot. And, and from then on, we, we got another gig and another. We just kept playing our asses off, mm. trying to get the word out, passing out flyers, just like a full-on street-level attack to try to get your band to be known yeah and eventually we ended up making a, another demo tape with the help of kirk hammett from metallica which was quite helpful for us because we were <laughs> totally young and didn't know what we were doing and no one knew of us and he endorsed us and and helped us along and we made this demo by this point we had a manager and she put together our uh promo pack uh, um which you know is just like this little folder with like pictures of each guy and our demo tape and just some you know pretty barbaric promo kit yeah. from back in the day but and she shopped it around to labels and lo and behold we got some interest Crazy. and we end up signing to at the time i mean it was a label and it was a known label but it wasn't a major label it was an independent label enigma records um, and we did our first two records on Enigma. Crazy. And then while we were on tour for our second album, Frolic Through the Park, I guess at this point, our manager was already speaking to a major label um, about us. Um, there was talks going on with okay. Geffen Records. Okay. And then somewhere along the line, we left Enigma and jumped on to Geffen. And then our third wow. album, Act 3 was on a major label wow yeah. wow fantastic <clears throat> fantastic uh, the end of the, so the first demo i hate to jump back but the first demo that rob was talking about was a four song demo called heavy metal insanity that i wasn't even in the band yet 
And ironically, that person who put an ad out, the studio they used was, was it Matt Wallace, Rob? That's right. Matt Wallace was producer who's gone on to produce like Maroon 5 and things like that. <laughs> Crazy. Wow. So he wow. was a major, he became a major producer. And then, of course, That's he right. recorded. And, and eventually I joined the band. And then we did the three song demo with Kirk Hammett. And then when he approached us, to, he wanted to produce a demo for us. Of course, we jumped on it. And Metallica was just about to release Ride the Lightning. So they were obviously the huge buzz band in the Bay Area and Europe and the underground metal scene in, in the States as well. So, of course, when he approached us, we said yes. No yes. Doubt. No yes. Doubt. And then that did lead to us getting signed to Enigma Records, who was an indie, but we were excited because their distribution was through Capitol Records. Mm. And that's when they released Ultraviolence and, yeah, the 88 uh, Frog Through the Park. And then, yes, then we eventually moved on to Geffen wow. Records in 1990. For our third album, oh, Act Three. Too cool. Yeah. Too cool. Yeah. Listeners, in the intro, I referred to Death Angel having previously been on episode 163 of the show, and I will put a link to that on the show page for this episode at nhte.net, so you can go back and listen to that one. We had sat down and recorded that interview in person at the Winter NAM show in Anaheim in January 2017, and in just a couple of weeks, I will be back in California recording more new episodes of NHTE at the 2020 Winter NAM show, and I will be doing so with equipment from Tascam, my DR44WL, the handheld recorder, which I will plug a couple Tascam TM60 microphones into, plus I'll have my Tascam headphones. If you're a content creator yourself, they've got solutions for you too. The DR10 series, for those of you doing video, that's great for capturing pro audio sound. The unit that I mentioned that I'll have out in Anaheim, the DR44, that's good for your song ideas, and they've got gear all the way up to mixers and even a high-res stereo master recorder. Great for recording your live shows. Check out all this and more at Tascam.com. That's T-A-S-C-A-M.com. So, guys, we were talking about the steps you took to get signed to a label, but looking back over those first, say, dozen years, what other lessons learned were there that can serve as a teaching moment for the listeners who are up-and-coming performers? Kind of a what went right, what went wrong? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've, we've pretty much sampled every possibility of what you can do right and what you can do wrong, especially what you can do wrong. But luckily, we had a few moments of what you could do right, hence why we are still here yeah. and nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> nominated for a Grammy at that. <laughs> but, um, I mean, what you can do right is work extremely hard. So every step of the way, we put, like, our whole life into everything we are doing, even making a flyer for a show, like, just everything like done as as best and as hard as you can because you're you're that into it and you're that proud of the, of what you're trying to do and what you're going to put out there to people and that was emphasized along the way as we started to work with more professional caliber people better producers better engineers uh. and just dealing with people that showed you that how hard you thought you were working that was a joke compared to how hard you wow. really need to be working wow so yeah we learned a lot of, like for instance doing our first two records we thought we were working hard we we're writing our asses off and touring and playing as many shows and doing what we possibly could again we're like young we're just we're still teenagers we're we're not even 
adult like we're not even 18 at the at this point in time so we really don't have the drive and the any kind of life experience to know what we're supposed to do we were just doing so because we were so into it yeah um but when we did uh, one thing is when we did sign to the major label and we went into write and record our record act three it was a major lesson there um we worked with a producer named max norman and we're extremely excited to work with him, being that he had produced two of our favorite records, Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman by Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Ozzy's two, first two solo records and the two albums that feature Randy <coughs> Rhodes on guitar, who is an absolute hero of, of mine and, and everyone. I mean, he was very well respected and big influence on many people including us so when we we knew we had a chance to work with max norman on our record that alone was uh you know freaked us out because we realized we were about to work with this legendary guy and him and the label they basically made us write we were writing i don't know for like six months straight or so eight months yeah non-stop easily and easily easily mm. maybe maybe up to a year of and we were used to at this point like okay so the album will have 10 songs here's 10 songs let's go so we wrote 10 songs had our demos uh, you know made sent them to the label and sent them <laughs> to the powers that be and then and we were and then all of a sudden we were told okay you know that sounds pretty good let's hear some more and we're like, isn't that enough? And we're like, oh, you know, you guys are getting started. We're like, all right. So then we would go back, wrote more, to like wow. gave another four four song demo. We're like, okay, here's four more songs. They're like, okay, getting warmer. Oh my yeah, gosh, getting warm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and we're like, what's ha- what? What's wrong with these? What do you mean? What's wrong? Like that's more than enough. They're like, you guys are just getting started. Wow. So basically, we ended up writing like thirty songs. Oh boy, for that album. Yeah. And yeah, but you know, look at at the time we were hating it. By that point we were just like screw all of you. Like we were so pissed that like we couldn't understand what was why we were just keeping being made to just keep going back to the drawing board, keep searching, searching for what? Or like just keep going you're getting and then sure enough in the end of the day some of the very uh you know better songs i think on that album came in the the fourth quarter of the writing or whatever absolutely yeah but but rob but what what kept you going though because like you said rob it would have been very easy to say screw this the heck with you like this was good stuff that we gave you never mind and you could have just said the heck with these guys and let your ego take over so what pushed you to keep going um i guess we we realized that the people that were telling us to do this were they knew what they were talking about. They're, they were the pros. Like it was, they were the major label. They were the management. They were the, the the older people that had experience. And just like your teachers in school or parents or whatever, you reluctantly, you know, <laughs> you you reluctantly give in. And you go, okay, I'll do my homework. You know. So we just like we're taking the word of the authority and gotcha. going with it and gotcha. you know so probably some slight sense of understanding what they were talking about but we just didn't have the experience to push ourselves okay. through it ourselves gotcha. but we you know we learned from that and you know it, we ended up making uh, a really killer album and going through the experience from that point on 
that was major to me because I never needed that kind of whip cracking again. After that, I realized, we realized, that's what you're supposed to uh, you as hard, I mean, hard as that. Technically, it's the first record we ever did pre-production on. We've never really even really heard of right. what pre-production is. You know, once that once the songs were sorted out, then Max Norman flew up to San Francisco and started going through the songs with us that we and started weeding them out. We got to the ones that were going to be on the record, and we got down to those, and then we started dissecting those songs, and okay. then that became a whole other thing. And you know, rearranging and dissecting, maybe try this here for four measures, try this. And that's when, and we always did want to, you know, be good songwriters, even though it's um, we're writing thrash metal. You know, we still wanted to have good song structure sure. and kind of really. Max is one of the first people that really kind of roped our excitement in for being musician, uh-huh. you know, and roped it into being palatable, okay. I guess, because okay. sometimes. You're a young musician. You're learning your instrument better and better. You want to get a little. Uh, you, you want to flaunt that you've improved. So, yeah. And that doesn't necessarily make for a better song because you're just flaunting. We could do this. Look, we could do this now. Right. Right. <laughs> that we were. Vic- I think we were a victim of that on our, our second record, where when Max got involved uh, for Act Three, all of a sudden our songwriting got a lot more structured and I think a lot more just viable. And it also left an impression on us that. To a certain degree, there is a science to this. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is, it's it's a soul. Don't get me wrong; it's the most soulful science in the world. But there is some sort of some sort of you know science to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment, where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is, it's the start of the year. This is the perfect time to go update all your bios across all your different online destinations, your website, your social media, music streaming sites, and so on. You don't want it to be June, and people are still reading in your bio that in 2019, he or she, or the band, will be doing X, Y, and Z. Get out in front of all that right now to ensure that you have up-to-date information so that you're ready for all potential opportunities in 2020. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. That's really great to know, isn't it? Very helpful, right? Bruce gives out a tip just like that on every episode of this show, and there's an easy way to get all those that he gave out over the first 160 episodes. The ebook series called Bruce's Bonus Book contains four volumes and they're all available for purchase and immediate download at www.brucesbonusbook.com. Order yours now for helpful tips that you can apply to your career right away. As Death Angel transitioned from teenage musicians to adult artists, there was a period of breaking up and reconnecting. What did y'all do while you were apart? Tons of things. Um, but Sorry, I just want to, on the last question, there's two highlights of things that I would think that are worth noting uh-huh. um, as far as getting to that point, which is we, one thing that we learned by, so what you said, what to do, what not to do. Yeah. So something that, you know, at that point in time, again, all these things, the mistakes we made and things that happened, we really, till this day, I, I feel no blame for those things because we didn't know what we were doing. We were being 
manipulated in certain ways because we're young and we were starting to, you know, have some value to our band and who we were. And unfortunately, we weren't paying enough attention to our business side of things because we didn't really know. Mm. We didn't even realize the importance of that. We just wanted to kick ass and, and take over the world or whatever you said. Yeah, earlier, yeah. You know? and, and so being blinded by our naive, like, passion for just playing music we didn't know uh, how to handle our business and so we were taken advantage of and manipulated here and there which led us through multiple lawsuits because of management issues and label issues so oh you know gosh. when we went from when, when we were on the first two records on enigma and when when we advanced to a major label on with geffen it wasn't like it was a clean break and we just moved forward there was like a it wasn't done the right way we just we just said okay goodbye and then we signed the geffen records and our management led us through that which resulted in tons of lawsuits left oh, and right and we're like underage dealing with lawsuits lawyers wow. all these things that you know yes it was a bad experience wow. however it was, it was an experience as to what not to do things that yeah, way yeah. and to pay attention to your business mm. which we also learned from that and learned how to be involved with management and pay attention to your business which is a necessary evil what you have to do even though you just want to jam and take over the world and have a great <laughs> fucking fun time and at the height of all this leading to the what what did we do after the band, after death angel we also got in a pretty um infamous bus accident so the reason we ceased to exist at that point in time wasn't because we didn't like music anymore or we didn't like each other like what happened was we just got into a bus accident while we were on tour due to mismanagement of the way that our tour was set up and blah oh, blah blah wow. it led us into a situation where we were on tour we were going from one show to another at the height of our success and we got into a terrible bus crash which wow. had severe injuries almost killed us and that was what that basically ended our band mm. at that point in time so that also is a <clears throat> yeah uh you know so then what did you go and do at that point after something like that happens we're pretty disillusioned <laughs> at that yeah. point in time we already had gone through three records massive touring cycles writing all the lawsuits we had been lawsuits we're barely just 21 years old at this, at this time. So we had been through a lot by that age. And at that point, we just looked at that as we were just sick of it all. Like we're literally, literally only 21 years old and we're just sick of the whole industry at this point because we've been like nine years straight in this industry. So that's pretty weird that people that young could have gone through the yeah. road that badly already. Um, I mean, I, our, our drummer during the accident was 17, 18, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we just were like, after all this, this is what, what happens to us. So we just like hated, we hated the, the, the music industry, all the people that were supposedly advising us. Sure. And we just like got totally disillusioned and we didn't want, we didn't want any of it anymore. And so at that point, basically Mark moved to New York and yeah. he just said, the band is done. We're done playing heavy metal. We're just done with this whole damn thing. That was our attitude at that point of time. That was the only thing we could do to, you know, save our, 
ourselves. We had to yeah. have a defense mechanism in our minds because yeah, I, 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 had seen, I, I had seen enough with the lawsuits and everything, and it was just you know getting to a boiling point. And then that 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 accident was definitely like a, a sign from someone to for me. Yeah. I said I, I, I've had it. I've had it, guys. I, I, I can't do this. And wow. everyone pretty much had the same feeling, though. You wow. know what I mean? It seems like if it, if it wasn't me, it'd have been someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've done a lot of Death Angel retrospective to this point, but let's talk about the modern-day Death Angel. For starters, talk about surviving lineup changes and specifically the impact, positive and negative, on the songwriting and creative process. Yeah. So now we fast-forward 12 years later to where we now reform in in the 12 years we all did a bunch of different musical stuff we we're like doing a, this that and the other but staying in in music so this is what enabled us to be able to get back together again otherwise that so much time would have gone by we'd have just been lost gone from the whole music world altogether but yeah. it um and and i'd say that because we all pursued other music other than the the kind of music that death angel was playing i think we were just done with that with that feeling from because we did it so much with death angel so mm. we pursued different styles of music wow. played with different musicians and this time apart this 12 years apart made it where we were able to get back together again because it kind of like froze time from each other's company in a way so to speak whereby when we got back together, it was, you know, I don't know about, I was going to say refreshing. <laughs> maybe, not re maybe not refreshing, but it was a reunion of sorts, like a family vibe back together again. And we had not played thrash music for so long that it was like kind of excite exciting again or something. Yeah, it was yeah. fresh. It, it, it like got refreshed or something. So I think had that never happened, we would have never made it all the way till now. So that uh, that's kind of a weird thing that we didn't play with each other for that long so that we could like, we could like each other's company again later yeah. on in life. And yeah, so we reformed in hmm, 2001 One with four fifths of the original band. Yep. The, only, the only lacking member at that point was Gus Peppa, the rhythm guitarist who we did approach you know, out of respect, but we knew what the answer would be. And he was living in the Philippines and he thanked us and turned it down. And then we had a friend of ours that we knew from the old San Francisco Bay area scene who we got, who we approached, who was, we knew was a great guitarist and a longtime death angel fan named Ted Aguilar. And we approached, you know, I believe Rob made the call to him and asked him if he wouldn't, you know, mind, you know, replacing Gus and long story short, Ted was extremely excited about it and jumped on the chance, you know, jumped at the chance. Right. Very cool. Very cool. I'm joined today on the now hear this entertainment guest line from Northern California by two of the five members of death angel songwriter and lead vocalist, Mark Asageda and songwriter, lead guitar player and band founder, Rob Cavastani. Visit the band's official website at deathangel.us. I will put a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net. And then engage with the band on social media. There are links on deathangel.us to the band's Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Be sure to keep up with the band for where and when you can go see them live, including the stretch of seven shows in nine days in February in Europe, specifically 
performing in Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Germany. You can follow the band on Spotify, but when they're not in your town, support them by purchasing downloads of their music from iTunes or get physical units, CDs, DVDs, and even vinyl through Nuclear Blast's website, which is the record label that they're on. Here is the big news about this podcast to start off 2020 that I promised at the beginning of this show. I have completely overhauled the Patreon for this show and effective immediately. All you have to give is five bucks a month and you will get bonus audio content each week to complement the episode that gets released. This will not be available anywhere else, only to those who give to the Patreon. Go check it out at patreon.com slash nhte or go to the show website nhte.net and click on the orange colored support us on Patreon button. I already put something out, exclusive audio content for last week's episode 307. Also, don't forget that even though Christmas is over, any shopping that you do at all, any time of year through Amazon, hit the show website first, nhte.net, scroll down and click the tall Amazon banner. It will open their shopping app on your phone or take you to their website if you're on your computer. Either way, at the end of your transaction, it'll kick back a small percentage of the sale to me at no extra cost to you, and that helps with some of the expenses I have for putting out a new episode of the show every week. Guys, I found this very interesting. In the metal scene, the album artwork is as equally as important as the music inside of it. Why is that? I don't know if it's equally as important, but it's important. Yeah, I mean, it is important because it's what you see first. Visually, especially in the days of pre-internet, for me at least, you go into a record store, you'd see an album cover that would jump out at you, and that's what you wanted. I remember specifically the first time I saw Iron Maiden Killers. Right there, I looked at that record, and wow, I want this record. Haven't hadn't heard a note of it, but I knew wow. this is a record I wanted. Same thing, the very first time I picked up a Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath record, I, it not only was I eerily intrigued but i was very scared of what i was about to hear you know what i mean but very eagerly so i think it's you know i i think it's it it would it's what draws the listener in especially if you're in from that era but now i definitely think uh you know in the metal scene especially fans just you know love love the, the visual artwork as well they're definitely in this scene in particular there's a lot of people that um love the tactile experience of having the actual physical product so and they still like the, the you know patches and whatnot to wear on their vests or pins and whatnot so the visual aspect of the album cover i think is extremely extremely important and i know we take that very very seriously as well yeah well, and speaking of visuals, I mentioned back in the intro that you put out a video in November for the song Immortal Be Hated. Talk about the making of that video. Ooh, we did that with uh, Jonathan Allegre. His name is Jay Lace Productions. And we filmed that throughout the Bay Area. Man, alive. It was over a three-day period in three different locations within our group uh, and uh, i guess we're self-managed now and within our group of people that work with us we uh, trisha aguilar came up with this concept and you know bounced it off of rob and then eventually they put the ideas together and trish and i believe ted went and s- scouted out certain locations and found them and uh, we put it together with some live footage and b footage of me, I guess, being the, the the character that's going through the turmoil that the song's written about, and that's kind of you know 
facing your biggest enemy or monkey a monkey on your back when often time at the end of that or something that you feel yeah is holding you down that uh that biggest enemy or you know opponent is is in fact yourself you know and that's concept that came up that they came up with and i think we captured it very well extremely well in that video yeah, I like the video. Listeners, make sure you go to the Death Angel YouTube channel and check it out. And mind you, it's a really cool song, too. And it really kind of throws you a curve the way that it ends with the piano after you sat through this whole song. And all of a sudden, like, I think that gets your even, your attention even more, even though the song is finishing and you go, OK, the video's done. And all of a sudden there's this big change sonically that it just really holds your attention. Yeah, and the, the piano at the end was done by a woman named Vika. I forget her last name, Robert. Vermoyeva. There you go, yeah. <laughs> She's uh, yeah. Ukraine, Ukrainian. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, uh, it definitely is a, to, to take you into this kind of a, of a mood um, that just um, caps off the, the entire feeling of the song, lyrically and musically, and it's just an, an extension musically. Um, to to reiterate the the emotion that that song is conveying. Yeah. Nice. Well, job well done. The video looks great. Again, and listeners, make sure you go look for it because it's really, really good video. Thank you. And, and, I, and, and, you know, again, that's a song that was, you know, music written by Rob Cavastani and then the lyrics written by me and melody by me. And that's something I'll jump back to. That's something that you, you spoke about, surviving lineup changes. The, when we first reformed, it was four-fifths of the band, and we did two records with that band, and it was uh, The Art of Dying and Killing Season. And The Art of Dying was produced by a guy named Brian Dobbs, who was one of Bob Rock's main engineers on the Metallica stuff. And then the second one, Killing Season, was produced by Nick Raskulinix, who produced Foo Fighters, Rush, Queens of the Stone Age, and whatnot. And that was recorded at Studio... 606, which is Grohl and Nick Raskolinix's studio, and then we toured extensively for both those records, and then after that, unfortunately, we lost two of the original members, our drummer Andrew Galleon and our bassist Dennis Peppa, who were part of the, you know, the original Death Angel and Death Angel Mark II, who were also contributing songwriters. Then we had to get, we still had Ted, me, and Rob, and we decided to keep carrying on, which was another thing to overcome. And then we found a bassist named Damien Sisson and a drummer named Will Carroll. And they've been in the band now since 2010 or 2009, I believe. So nine, ten years now. And with them, with this lineup, we've released four records produced by Jason Sukoff. And these records, I'm going to touch on something you have done. What, what, what has happened with the songwriting since we've hit this lineup, it's evolved from four contributing songwriters to pretty much two and now two main contributing songwriters, me and Rob, which in a sense, I think has made our writing style a lot more and our records a lot more, I guess, cohesive from beginning to end. And that's something you'd want you mentioned earlier, how is songwriting changed with lineup changes? Yeah. And before with so many people contributing, I think a lot of our records weren't as cohesive from beginning to end. And there's a lot of highlights on them and the production's great. But the songwriting I still think had some, you know, it just veered in and out of a certain line a little too far to the right, a little too far to the left sometimes. Where now I think with mine and Rob's vision since we've kind of 
taken over that that aspect of the band. It's a lot more streamlined and focused. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I see how that could totally be the case to go from four guys that all have their hands in the pot to just two and two guys, mind you, who had been working together for many years already. Absolutely. And listeners, by the way, I keep referring to the previous appearance by Death Angel on NHTE, and that was Mark, Ted, and Will on that episode. So when you go back, that's who you'll hear on that one. This episode is releasing three months almost to the day from when I will be flying out to a speaking engagement in Las Vegas. If you have any inkling of going there at all, you really want to be reading the Access Vegas newsletter, which I get regularly in my email inbox. I was reading in the latest issue, and the editor was saying that the owner of a number of restaurant chains and Golden Nugget casinos thinks that Las Vegas is overbetting on conventions and that that's great news for us in that when conventions don't fill rooms, those rooms will be priced to fill and or comps for them will be much looser. The Access Vegas editor also gave a tip on a free shuttle you can take to an all-you-can-eat buffet. That was immediately followed by a tip he had for the truly frugal Vegas visitor. I just don't have time here to get into that one, though. And besides, there's so much more in every issue, not to mention that you get access to all their archives so you can read back issues. Go to the show website, nhte.net, click on the Access Vegas logo, and at sign up, put in the code BRUCE to get $5 off, and you'll be on your way to getting all this great insider info, plus tips about discounts that don't require any coupons. Again, start at nhte.net. Click the Access Vegas logo, and at sign up there, be sure to put in the code BRUCE to get $5 off. Guys, I have to ask the obvious question, what does this Grammy nomination mean to you as we get closer to the awards ceremony at the end of January? It's almost hard to put in the words, but as I said, you know, when we talked at the beginning of the interview how me and Rob have known each other our entire lives because we're cousins— and we were inspired by our parents' record collection. Music is always, it's, it's a part of our DNA. And, you know, wanting to be a musician since you were a little kid and watching the Grammys with your parents growing up and all this, it's mind-blowing. It, 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 to me, just being nominated is a dream come true. Like, it's an absolute dream come true. And just being nominated feels extremely victorious for us. You know, and it's just, it's... It, yeah, it, it, it's 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 beautiful. Yeah, and because of the all these things we've just talked about, our history is interesting to say the least. Not just our musical history, but everything that we've experienced and endured and gone through along the way. <laughs> um, it's 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 just it's more than music. It's our entire lives are intertwined mm. with our musical life, and it's it's everything that we've gone through. The people we know till this day and every experience that has has happened has basically been because of this band and because of music so the fact that we're here right now that happening to us like 38 years after, later in this journey is also it's huge to, to us for our perseverance and absolutely for, for getting up after getting knocked down like so many times and having to get back up where you could have just been done like so many times. And it's, it, it ties into kind of a, an award for, for not only our music, but to us for perseverance and going at it and keeping it together for all this time and through all those 
intense events that has happened to us. Yeah, nicely said, nicely said. And listeners, I know that Mark is speaking from the heart because I got the opportunity to see Death Angel perform here in Tampa less than three weeks ago and said the same thing to the crowd from the stage that night about what a victory just the nomination in itself is. So, guys, just hearty congratulations and really, really happy to see this for you. Thank you so much, so much. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean... It's true what Rob said. It does. It, it is just an award for surviving legal problems, label changes, uh, bus accidents, to lineup changes, to just everything. It's, it's it is just a, a nod to to you know to perseverance for sure, for sure. Well, we're going to close today with the title track from your 2019 album Humanicide, which is the song that's up for best metal performance Grammy. So before we go, tell the listeners all about this song, please. Uh, this is the title track off yeah. of our, our latest record, Humanicide. This is the song that's up for a Grammy. It's the first song on the record, and it's it, it's kind of uh, uh, it, it, it's a, a bit of a, a, a theme track for our album and our tour. We open our set with it, and it's... Uh, bit of an epic track mark can lay out the 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 brutality of the lyrics as he wrote them but um i just uh, musically writing the music i definitely try to write a a very heavy and intense song that would open the album complete with epic intro music that starts the entire thing so love this song for sure you know and as as rob said yeah he when I get the music, how we tend to write, though, when uh, Rob will usually present me with a song, at least the basic structure of a song. And then I'm not one of these lyricists that has a lyric book full of lyrics waiting for songs to be written. I don't write a lyric till I hear the song. And so wow. I'm inspired lyrically and theme-wise and melody and everything. I'm inspired by what Rob's riff puts in my, you know, my psyche. Wow. <laughs> I listen to it, and then I hear the riff. And then I start working off that and I'll come up with melodies and a theme, you know, and that's what, and it, it, it's what, it, it's basically what Rob's melody or what Rob's riffs invoke out of me, you know, and uh, that's, that's what it was. And I felt it was such a very intense song and a strong, we, I think we both knew before we even, yeah, before it, we knew it had to be the opening track, you know, and it's, mm. and it had to be it had to come out the gate strong. And I thought Rob wrote a brilliant song from the intro to just all the riffs in between. And I, I had to, you know, match it lyrically and, you know, just do some sort of phrasing that would be intense as well. And something that would stick in people's heads. And, uh, it, it is, it's called humanicide. And unfortunately it's just, it, it's about how it's one interpretation about the state of the world today and mm. how, um, a lot of people let uh, things just go to the wayside that need to be, uh, I guess, attacked or approached, you know, and not just left to, you know, work itself out. Because if we don't do something about these things, the, it's going to be the inevitable loss of the, the world as we know it today. And I'm not going to say it's going to happen today or tomorrow, but eventually that's that's the 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 road we're on and that's what we're leading to with uh, the carelessness and the divisiveness that's being fed to us. And I can't say force fed because it's almost done so 
eloquently that people are, are swimming to the bait. You know what I mean? Mm. Wow. <laughs> Which wow. is unfortunate, but that's and that's how I see it. So the, lyrically, it's just kind of written about the demise of where we are today. But a lot of it is self-induced now, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. When Mark explained the, the, the way that we our, our writing process together, he and I, it, it, it totally just made me realize that we we write in a in a in a way of uh, the reverse uh, style of how Elton and Bernie Taupin write, ah. write music. Yeah, we're, absolutely. We're, we're never in the same we're never in the same room writing, but we we collaborate on the songs from one guy to the other. But it's like the other way around with how Bernie gives Elton the lyrics, and it's the other way around. Yeah. Wow. Well, great yeah. job describing the song and. Guys, it's been really great to have you on the show. Congratulations again. We'll obviously be watching and pulling for you come Grammy time. And uh, all the best for 2020 for Death Angel. Oh, thank you so much. I thank mean, you. 2019's been so rewarding, and I just can't, you know, 2020, we're pushing and working harder for more. We have a lot more on the table and a lot more to do. Fantastic. And by Fantastic. the way, this, 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 the tour that you that you mentioned multiple times, the European tour we have coming up, and the the seven shows, it's it's actually we're actually doing like thirty shows. Wow, wow, yeah. So it's it's it's, it's th- over three times longer than that. We, Fantastic. We tour relentlessly. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, thanks again for making time. It's been great having you back on the show. Thanks oh, for having wonderful. us. Wonderful. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. You bet, listeners. That will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to two of the five members of Death Angel, songwriter and lead vocalist Mark Asageda, and songwriter, lead guitar player, and band founder Rob Cavastani. Visit the band's official website at deathangel.us. I will put a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net, and then engage with the band on social media. That means like their Facebook page, follow them on Twitter and Instagram, subscribe to their YouTube channel, and then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell them you heard them and their music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Be sure to keep up with the band for where and when you can go see them live, including the European tour that you just heard them talk about. You can follow the band on Spotify, but when they're not in your town, support them by purchasing downloads of their music from iTunes or get physical units, CDs, DVDs, and even vinyl through Nuclear Blast's website, which is the record label that they're on. As for this show, again, there is big news to start off 2020. I did completely overhaul the Patreon for this podcast, and effective immediately, all you have to give is just 5 bucks a month, and you'll get bonus audio content to complement each week's episode. This will not be available anywhere else, only to those who give to the Patreon. Go check it out at patreon.com slash nhte, or go to the show website, nhte.net, and click on the orange-colored Support Us on Patreon button. And then again, as I mentioned before, don't forget that even though Christmas is over, any shopping that you do at all, any time of year through Amazon, hit the show website first, nhte.net. Scroll down and click the tall Amazon banner. It will open up their shopping app on your phone or take you to their website if you're on your computer. Either way, at the end of your transaction, it'll kick back a small percentage of the sale to me at no extra cost to you. And that helps with some of the expenses that I have for putting out a new episode of the show every week. That's going to do it for episode 308. We'll send you out with another song from Death Angel. This is the one that the guys just talked about. It's called Humanicide. 